This morning we're going to consider Psalm 57, and that can be found on page 446 in the Black Pew Bibles, in the seats around you. On my drive to church, I had one of my children with me. I said, today in my sermon, I'm going to talk about earworms. And one of them said, ew, gross, Dad. Earworms. Do you know what earworms are? I'm hoping and praying that Psalm 57 becomes an earworm. An earworm is also called a brainworm, sticky music, stuck song syndrome, or technically the involuntary musical imagery. An earworm is those catchy, memorable pieces of music that get stuck in your head and they get played all throughout your day. 98% of humans apparently struggle with earworm syndrome. Does this annoy you, friends? Or do you enjoy singing the same songs over and over and over again? I actually have to admit, I like earworms. I like getting a song stuck in my head and singing it around the house, even though I can't sing. Psalm 57. It's an earworm. I think it's an earworm in this sense. You've already heard this song before. In some ways, you just heard this song last week. What do I mean? Look at Psalm 56, verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God. Look at Psalm 57, verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God. Now, I know it says merciful in the ESV, but it's literally the same exact words from Psalm 56, 1. Now, look at Psalm 56 at the beginning. It says, a miktam of David when the Philistines seized him in Gath. So, you have a miktam of David, and he's running for his life when King Saul's chasing him. Look at Psalm 57 to the choir master. According to, do not destroy, a miktam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Does that sound familiar? David running for his life. King Saul wants to kill him. And so he turns to God and he writes a poem that turns into a song that gets given to the choir master. I think we've heard this tune before. Now, literally, it says, according to Do Not Destroy, that may be an actual tune marker, or it could just be Do Not Destroy, the theme of the song. But either way, Psalm 57 shares so much in common with so many of the laments that we've seen in the book of Psalms. We're 57 weeks into our sermon series of the book of Psalms. And this book has repeated again and again that God is our refuge in times of trouble. He not only will deliver us from our troubles, but he will be your refuge in the midst of the trouble before the deliverance comes. Put your hope in God as your refuge. Knowing that when the enemies attack during the crisis and afterwards, God will be the one who rescues and saves. In other words, I think one of the challenges of this sermon series will be that some of you might tune this song out. I've heard that one before. Like the earworm, I want to get that out of my head. I'm saying the exact opposite. I want this to get stuck in your head. May Psalm 57, as we read it, as we meditate on it, may it be an earworm plays in your mind and transforms your heart today, and tomorrow, and hopefully for the rest of our lives. Let's read God's word together. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a miktam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. 
I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. Selah. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And that ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and errant word. The grass will wither, the flowers will fade. But this word and all of God's word will endure forever. Amen? Big idea. One sentence. God has a plan for David. This plan includes intense pain and severe persecution. But it will end with the people's praise. We'll take this big idea in three parts. God's plan, David's pain, and the people's praise. To unpack this one sentence, God has a plan for David. The plan includes intense pain and persecution, but it will end with the people's praise. Plan, pain, praise. First, the plan. God has a plan for David. Look at verse 2. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. That's where I get the idea. God has a plan for David. I cry out to God who, some translators say, who accomplishes for me. So I was like, huh, I wonder why they translated it that way. And I looked it up, and it's because the most literal way to translate this phrase is, I cry to God who brings me to my end. As in, there is a plan, and there will be an end goal of that plan, and I'm not at the end yet. I'm in the middle of the plan. He will bring me to that end. That's what I believe he is communicating here. Every time this phrase is used elsewhere in the Psalms, and it's only four other times, and this phrase is unique, it's only in five Psalms altogether. This phrase is referring to the end destruction of David's enemies. But here, uniquely, it's used to talk about David's end, which is his glory. Look at the next verse, verse 3. What's God's plan for David? Glad you asked. Verse 3, he will send from heaven and save me. That's the plan. He will put to shame him who tramples on me, Selah. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. In sum, God has a plan to save David and put David's enemies to shame. Have you noticed I've been emphasizing David's plan? 
Some of you might be wondering, what about me? God has a plan for me too, right? Ooh, ooh, Pastor Phil, I know that answer. I, I went to Sunday school. Jeremiah 29, 11 is my favorite verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. You see, Pastor Phil, God has a plan for you and for me. They're for welfare, for prosperity, not for evil. Give us a bright hope and a future. Amen. Except, on further review, Jeremiah 29, 11 was not written to you or me. As long as I've been your pastor, none of you have said, by the way, I'm in exile as an Israelite in Babylon. That's who Jeremiah is talking to in Jeremiah 29, 11. He says two verses later, this is the plan that Jeremiah 29, 11 is talking about. I will restore your fortunes. Oh, what fortunes? The fortunes of gathering you from the nations and the places where I've driven you out from your land, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in exile. Context, friends. Jeremiah 29, 11, the most misquoted Bible verse that talks about God's future prosperous plans for you in America. Ha! No. No. The nation of Israel in exile. I have a plan for you. Fortunes of restoring you back into the land. In much the same way, God's plans for David that are referenced in Psalm 57, verse 2, are specific to the Davidic promises. God has a plan. What is the big idea? For David. God promised that David would be the king of Israel. He appointed him. This is actually where we get the name Christ, the anointed one. God has a plan that David would sit down on a throne in Jerusalem and rule over God's people in Israel. But that plan includes pain and persecution. David's on the path to sitting on the throne. And where we find ourselves, according to the superscription, is David is not on a throne, he is in a cave. Point two. God has a plan for David, and that plan includes pain, intense pain, and great persecution. Notice, as I just mentioned, David is in a cave. It's dark. How do you know it's dark? Well, he's in a cave. But you actually have another clue that it's really, really dark. He's in a dark cave, and he's in the middle of the night. Look down at Psalm 57, verse 8. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. What's that a reference to? The sun rising in the dawn, meaning this psalm is written in a cave in the middle of the night. It's dark, dark. It's dangerous. This pain and persecution includes darkness. It includes danger. Look at verse 1. All all David is looking for is refuge, shadow of the wings because of the storms of destruction. And it's actually storms, plural, because the word destruction is plural. The destructions, they're all over the place. In a cave, in the darkness, and in danger of destruction. Specifically, verse 4, in the midst of lions, amid fiery beasts, teeth, spears, arrows, tongues, sharp as sword. Verse 6, there's traps set for my path. 
God has a plan to put David on a path, and that path includes traps. You see that in verse 6? They dug a pit in my way, in my path, a net for my steps. I'm on the path, God, that you gave me. I'm not doing my own thing. I'm doing what you promised for me. David is following God's promised plan, which includes great pain, intense persecution. But David is confident. Look at the way he talks. Verse 3, God will send out his steadfast love. That assurance of God sending and saving and trampling and shaming his enemies is repeated in verse 7. My heart is steadfast. It is secure. It is established. I'm not going anywhere. I'm putting my faith and I'm staking my trust in God. And I will sing and I will make melody. I believe that David is doing just what we heard, like an earworm, last week. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid what can flesh do to me. The word of God is reliable. David is trusting in God's word. But there's a time lapse between what God said he would do for David and the end goal of when it happened. He's in the middle of the plan, not on the throne in a cave, not ruling above his enemies, but lying down amidst fiery beasts, not filled with strength and power, but displaying all through this psalm utter weakness and humility. He wants to take refuge under God's wings like a little baby chick. His heart and his soul is downcast. Look at the language here of verse 8. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. The first one, my glory. Awake, like his glory's asleep. His significance, his inner being is lied down. Or as it says in verse 6, my soul was bowed down. Some translators translate that he's depressed. He's downcast. Have you ever heard a promise from God and it not become fulfilled yet and in between then you get discouraged that's David God has a plan for him and on that path pain and persecution do you guys got it so far yes some of you are thinking yep I got it I just don't know why I should care in fact I'm still kind of upset with you pastor Phil you just burst my bubble and ruined my favorite Bible verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. Patience, Padwan, patience. The Bible was not written about you. Most of it was not written, even written to you. But this you can rest assured. The Bible, Psalm 57, it's for you. Not about you, not, not even to you, to the choir master to the people of Israel, to people in exile, waiting between promises like Jeremiah 29, 11, and still being in exile, and those promises have yet been unfulfilled. Psalm 57 becomes a word of hope-filled encouragement for those people. But that's not you. You aren't those people. You are not an Israelite in exile, correct? But is it stuck in your head yet? God has a plan. 
for David. It includes pain and persecution. But it ends with the people's praise. Ah, the glorious crescendo of our song. Verses 9 and 10, friends. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Yay! We made it into the Bible. That's us. You were wondering, I know, when do I appear in the story? There it is, verses 9 and 10. David says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. That's us. We're the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. We are the, nation, the nations, the ethnes, the tribes, the tongues, and the languages. Here you and I have been already this morning worshiping the God of the Bible. And here we are in this room represented from various ethnicities, tribes, and languages. We are different peoples. And Psalm 57 says that when God's plan for David is fulfilled, even though it includes a path of pain and persecution, the end of that plan will be praise amongst people from every tribe, tongue, and language. Here we are. That's where you fit into the story. But how? How do we go from 3,000 years ago in a cave, David writing these words, to today? Because the whole earth has seen, verse 10, the praise of the peoples is rooted in verse 10 to the steadfast greatness of God's love. His covenant, faithful, loyal love, hesed. Man, the number of times that that word has reappeared in the Psalms is ridiculous. The hesed, covenant, faithful, promise-keeping God is a repeated earworm kind of song. That tune should be in your head if you read any of the Psalms. And when you hear those truths, but more importantly, when you see those truths fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the greater David, oh, it leads to praise. But remember, Psalm 57 isn't ultimately about us. I passed over the most important part of the psalm so far, verses 5 and 11. Part of what makes Psalm 57 unique is this refrain. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. That's why I said Psalm 57 is not about you. It wasn't even written to you. But it is for you. It was written to the people of Israel to give them hope during their pain and their persecution of exile. They were waiting for the promise of Jeremiah 29, 11, Waiting for the day that they'd be restored into the land that God promised for them. And then when that day would come, the peoples would praise. Just like David's plan. God promised that David would be the king over the nation of Israel and that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed and praised the God of the Bible because of the greatness of David and his nation. David did become king. He continued to trust in God's promises, and he submitted himself fully down this plan. And guess what? As I already said, he got back into a cave again. I mean, not once, but twice he ends up in a cave because he's running for his life. That's remarkable, isn't it? This path of pain and persecution didn't end at the end of Psalm 54, or 55, or 56, or 57. 
But God was in the midst through his word and through his promises, and David clung to them, and he found his refuge in them, and he submitted himself down the path. In fact, in the second cave story, he had a chance to kill King Saul, and he didn't. Mm, that's good. He could have used power. He could have used violence, but he submitted himself to the plan. And God raised him up onto the throne in Jerusalem, and he ruled over the nation of Israel. Hallelujah, God be praised. Psalm 57 became true in the person of David. But did it fully? I don't think so. Verse 10 has not yet even been true to today. All the peoples, every tribe and every tongue and every language on the face of the earth still is not giving praise to this God. And that's the very promise all the way back from Genesis 12 that gets passed down to David and then gets passed down to the person of Jesus Christ. David's salvation did not result in verse 10's, 9 and 10's praise over all the earth from all the peoples. No, no, it did not. But it did through the plan and the pain and the persecution of Jesus the Christ. Did you all catch what John Whipple read for us just a second ago? John 12, 27, Jesus says, my soul is troubled. Does that sound like David? Suffering, downcast, he's lying down. What should I say about this? Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? That's what David said in Psalm 57. Save me from this hour. Jesus says, no. I'm not praying for salvation like David did in Psalm 57. For this was the very purpose that I have come for. God has a plan. Not just for David, but for David's grandson, Jesus Christ. And that plan include intense, soul-troubling pain and persecution. And so Jesus prays similar to David. Be exalted, O God, among the heavens. Be exalted and let your glory fill over the earth. Look at, listen to verse 28. This is John 12, 28. Father, glorify your name. What a prayer. Doesn't that sound like Psalm 57? I'm in a cave. I'm being persecuted. I'm in pain. I'm troubled in my soul. God, be exalted in your name. That's what Jesus does. But in a much, much greater way. When the stakes are much higher. When the plan includes not just almost dying, but actually dying. Just like David, Jesus was chosen to be the anointed king of Israel and the whole world. The term for the anointed king is the Christ. That's why we call him Jesus Christ. Jesus, like David, was to be the Christ. And just like David, Jesus' path included pain. It included severe persecution. David was stuck and surrounded in a dark cave, but Jesus Christ, his dead, cold body was placed in a cave and covered and surrounded by his enemies. But just like David, God would send from heaven and save and shame all of his enemies. 
Oh, in a much, much greater and more spectacular act of salvation and deliverance, angels, literally, were sent from heaven and saved Jesus Christ. And up from the grave, he rose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He rose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. We sing that song, by the way, on Easter. It came to mind because when I was studying Psalm 57, I realized that the Book of Common Prayer, which has been used for hundreds of years in Christian churches, says on Easter Sunday, read Psalm 57. Which made me think, I wonder, why did William Cranmer back in the 1800s say we should read Psalm 57 on Easter Sunday? Maybe because the greater David would not just hide in a cave, he would die in a cave, but he would be risen again from the dead. And through the shaming of his enemies, as he rose victoriously, triumphing over sin and Satan and death, the very reason this innocent man died in the first place, absorbing God's wrath, taking on the penalty and punishment of sin, he arose victoriously, triumphantly, and he ascended into heaven at the right hand of God. He arose. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all of the earth. God's plan for David was so much superseded by the plan that he had for Jesus Christ. And it leads to praise. I hope there's a couple of you, maybe a lot of you, as you hear the plan of Jesus, your heart just wells up with praise. That's good. Praise the Lord for the plan that God had, not just for David, but for Jesus. Who cares that it wasn't written about you or even to you? It was written for you. You are one of those people. If you would repent of your sin, you would remove your obsession with your own small little glory and exchange it for the glory of the invisible, infinite, immortal God, the supreme glory found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. As Paul says in Corinthians, oh, the God of this age has blinded the eyes of unbelievers from seeing the glory of God. But as we preach Christ and him crucified and we lift up the glory of Jesus, we will see light shine out of darkness and shine it into our hearts to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens and let your glory be over all the earth the glory that is none other than the face of Jesus, the face sent from heaven. I don't mean just a figurative face. I mean literally look at the face of Christ and see him dying on the cross, hanging and saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See his face as he in agony says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as he dies on that cross, fulfilling the suffering of pain and persecution, that he had to endure, God triumphantly made him rise again, reign victoriously, and pour out his Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've repented of your sin and you put your faith in this Christ. You live in between God's promise and the end goal of your purpose. It's not there yet. 
death, the final enemy, is not done. Sin still remains in your heart. But if you would submit yourself like David does, steadfast to God's promise, and see that it is even much more sure because of what we've seen in Jesus Christ, I guarantee you that your small, little, puny, glorious, glorious, I mean this, glorious world will be exploded by a supreme and greater glory found in the purposes of God in the person of Christ. When this happens, sin starts to grow faintly dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Do you want an encouragement to fight daily sin today? Behold the face of Christ, glorying in the intense pain and the great persecution that he endured for your sake. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I would inherit his righteousness. It's so good. I don't know. I get excited. Guys, this is so good. Like, how good is this? That what God did for David was a blessing to all of the people of Israel. I mean, all the, just random farmers, random people doing nothing. Hey, this plan, it's for David, but it's for you too. Oh, in a much greater way. The vine says any of you in Christ remain in him. You're a part of the tree as his branches. It's for you too. That's when God's Copernican revolution of centering your life around the glory of God and the person of Christ, when that takes place, all the other little planets start to fit where they should. Your work no longer becomes your God. Sex no longer becomes your God. Love and romantic relationships, they're good, they're important, they're gifts from God, but they don't get disordered and blown up. It's like, that's what life is all about. Oh, friends, do you realize that when you understand God's plan for David, fulfilled in God's plan for Jesus, boom, you have unleashed a power, an explosive power of a new joy, a new affection, a new hope, and it's way better than that American dream that's attached to Jeremiah 29, 11. Way, way better. So, I hope you can see that God's plan for David that includes pain and persecution ends with the people's praise. It's a really good song to get stuck in your head. I hope it does. Let's pray that it does. Would you join me in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we have been so thankful to be reminded yet again afresh that your plans and purposes, even though they, in strange, mysterious sovereignty, include such deep pain and suffering. And I am not aloof to the deep pains and sufferings that are represented in this room. But we are reminded of how as we stand in the middle of the time between your promise and its fulfillment of a new heaven and a new earth and your return, we can steadfastly hope. We can talk to our feelings and tell them hope in God, in God whose word we praise, in God we trust. We shall not be afraid. We shall not remain downcast forever. There may be sorrow for a season, but joy comes in the morning. So awake, O dawn, 
awake the light, and not just the light of a new day, when a season of depression and suffering comes to pass, but the light of the glory of God in Jesus Christ who walks with us in the darkness, who went to the darkest place ever for us. In Jesus' name we exalt and praise. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I would love to close our service with a glorious, triumphant song called How Great Is Our God. Chris Talman wrote this several years ago, and you may not know this, but this might very well be the most common or popular song that is sung around the entire globe. Some people have estimated that this song has been translated in more languages than any other Christian song on the planet. So I thought it'd be fitting for us to close out our service singing How Great Is Our God, knowing that very well, right this minute, around the earth, from every tribe, tongue, and language, there are people that are giving praise to the greatness of our God because of Jesus Christ. How about that? Let's stand and sing together. <laughs>